This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the BearCast. Today, I'm riding solo, no Craig today, so I'm just going to go through the game that we saw this weekend, Baylor versus BYU. We're going to talk about Baylor versus Texas State, preview that a little bit, and of course, dive into the mailbag. But as always, I appreciate y'all for listening, tuning in. Um, so let's dive right into it with this Baylor versus BYU matchup. Um, you know, really tough loss for the Bears. Uh, they go into Provo. They lose in double overtime, 26-20. to 20. Um, Unable to pull this one out despite being given plenty of opportunities in this game. Uh, really disappointing performance by the offense in general. The defense even had some moments that I, I don't think that they're particularly proud of. Um, and some just you know, moments where you get to get better, right? And try to develop as a team and as a program. And right now, I know it's really disappointing. And I know for me, looking at kind of where the program is at, you know, they're three and eight under Dave Veranda in road games. They're only three wins on the road are against Kansas, Texas State, and Kansas State. And those were all last year. Um, it just has not translated from home to away. And it didn't again this past weekend. Now, did they get blown out? No. Were they, you know, completely and utterly rattled? No. But did they come up short and did they have a performance that was not what we've seen from this program in the last two years? Sort of. You know, in some aspects, this game reminded me a lot of the TCU game last year. And I'm not going to say that TCU is as good as BYU, but I think you got a really good performance from the opposing quarterback. Your quarterback didn't have his best day. You didn't bring your best stuff to the table. You were given opportunities to win the game, and you just simply didn't take those opportunities. And so I, I think it, it does draw some parallels to that TCU game. I know it's different. I know Jaron Hall didn't go crazy like Chandler Morris, but he did make some special throws, and his receivers made some plays as well. So let's kind of go through the game. I know each week when Craig and I do this, we start off going through the drives. Um, so the beginning of the game, BYU drives down the field 65 yards, got a field goal on that drive. That was followed by punt, 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 punt. I mean, just this consecutive drive of punts. I think that included four, I'm sorry, five three and outs during those drives from the two teams. So both offenses really stuck in the mud. Baylor put together a really nice 13-play, 68-yard drive. Um, that was in the second quarter. It was topped by a Quaylen Jones touchdown run with a minute 37 left in the half. Isaiah Hankins did miss the field goal. It was a bad hold and then a missed extra point. So that made the score 6-3. Then the Baylor defense just relented. They... they really did not play well on this next drive for BYU. As the Cougars came out, they were throwing it around a lot. Chase Roberts had um, three grabs on this drive. He had 14 yards, 11 yards, 20 yards. Uh, the 20-yard one was a touchdown on Lorando Johnson with two seconds left in the half. Um, 
really disappointing into the half, I felt like. So that made it 10-6 BYU, and I felt like that was a huge momentum killer for Baylor as they had just driven down the field, looked like they had finally figured some things out offensively, and then the defense immediately gives up a touchdown. I felt like even if you hold them to a field goal, you're in a much better spot. They weren't able to do that. So second quarter starts up. Baylor, once again, another nice drive. Nine plays, 77 yards. I felt like this was the most comfortable we were going to see Blake Shapin throughout the game as he completed passes to Gavin Holmes, Hal Presley, Quaylen Jones, um, and then it was finally topped off by another Quaylen Jones touchdown on that drive to make the score 13-10. BYU responded again. 13 play, 54 yards. They squared the game up, 13 all. Baylor punted. BYU got the ball back, and you got the five-play, 54-yard drive for a touchdown. Um, really tough, I felt like, on that drive. Giving up just kind of one of those really long drives where you had just scored, once again, found momentum, then you punted, and then touchdown. So 10 straight points for BYU there. Uh, that was on the throwback pass from Chase Roberts to Jaron Hall. That made the score 20-13 to BYU. Baylor turned right around and answered thanks to a strong running approach. Once again, 12 plays, 79 yards. Uh, Baylor scored with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter on a Ben Sims reception touchdown from Blake Shapin. That nod things up, 20-all. Then you had two straight punts. Um, BYU punted after going 34 yards. Baylor got the ball, drove it to about midfield, and it was fourth and six, and they decided to punt it away and force BYU to drive a long ways they had to go 90 yards if they were going to score a touchdown and really would have to go quite a few yards just get into field goal range and they did it as they hit on a couple plays but the big one was chase roberts 37 yards as he turned around aj mccarty pretty badly um, got that 37 yard gain got him all the way down to the baylor 18 and then jake oldroyd stepped up for a 35 yard field goal and shockingly he missed it that would not be the only field goal that was missed on the day, but it was one where I think all Baylor fans were like, okay, BYU's given Baylor an opportunity here. Let's go to overtime. Baylor should be in a good spot. Didn't turn out that way. Baylor came out, got to a third and three, and then immediately got the holding penalty. And this was a huge holding penalty because Craig Williams had gotten to the outside, scored a touchdown on this play, and it was brought back thanks to a Ben Sims holding. It was the right call as well. And so, therefore, Baylor ends up trying to kick a field goal. 43-yarder, Isaiah Hankins missed it. Another just weird, I even felt like it was a false start on Isaiah Hankins on that field goal. He took a step forward. It felt like the snap was totally off. Uh, they just looked completely rattled. So, he missed it pretty bad. BYU gets the ball back, and you're seeing there once again, like, this game's over right? There's no way Baylor's going to win this game. The Baylor defense was able to hold them to just getting five yards. So BYU came out, Jake Oldroyd, once again, 37 yard field goal attempt, missed it again. That one was shocking. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the game going that, okay, now they've given Baylor all these chances. Surely Baylor's going to win this football game. BYU gets the ball back uh, to start the second overtime. They drive down the field way too easily. Keanu Neal had the 20-yard reception on second and 10, got them down to the five, um, and then they were able to score a touchdown on that drive to make it 26-20. to 20. They did go for two, and they didn't get it. So you could see the lack of faith in their kicker and also just 
why not try to almost ice this game? So it's 26-20, but once again, when they missed that two-point conversion, I thought it was over once again for Baylor. I I felt like Baylor was going to drive right down the field, score a touchdown, and for the most part, I was right. Baylor got all the way into the BYU five-yard line. So they drove 20 yards. It's first and goal at the BYU five. Surely, they're going to score a touchdown here. Isaiah Hankins is going to come out, knock down the extra point, and that'll be it. Didn't happen like that. Uh, Squirrel Williams, no gain. Quaylen Jones, one yard. False start on Baylor. Uh, Blake Shapin completes a pass to the BYU 6. Another false start on Baylor. So they're at the BYU 11. And then Shapin airmails uh, the intended target out of the end zone to end the game. So that's how the game went. Baylor loses this game 26-20. to 20. Some general takeaways. Um, the passing game, it was rough. I mean, there's really no other way around it. It it was really rough to watch. Blake Shapin, 18 of 28, 137 yards, one touchdown, a 35.9 QBR, which was the second lowest in the entire Big 12 for week two. It just did not happen for them. Hal Presley was the leading receiver, three catches, 31 yards. Ben Sims, four for 30 yards and a touchdown. Overall, those were the only two guys who were really even relevant in the passing game whatsoever. Um it just felt like they were uncomfortable. And a part of that was the BYU defense. They had five quarterback hurries to go along with four sacks. I felt like they were doing a nice job getting into the backfield. also felt like Shapin was rattled. He was. You know, if you watch him, you kind of are looking at Shapin and going, okay, he's getting out of the pocket rather quickly. He looks uncomfortable looking downfield. He senses this pass rush. And I think sometimes when a quarterback gets hit a couple times, you start seeing ghosts. And I think that's what was happening to him. He started anticipating the pressure instead of the pressure actually being there. It was causing him to get outside the pocket too early. I think it just rattled everything about the passing game. And so it really made Baylor focus on the run game and really trying to just set up play action. The hard part was even when they were running the football, the play action still was not very successful on the day. So in general, Baylor ran 52 Uh, carries 152 yards, 2.9 yards per carry, two touchdowns. It wasn't great, um, but I did feel like, you know, at times they had success. Squirrel Williams, 17 for 68 yards. Quaylen, 16 carries, 67 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Tay McWilliams, six carries for 22 yards before he got knocked out uh, of the game with what appeared to be a concussion. Um, Monterey Baldwin left the game with also what appeared to be a concussion in this one, so he left, and so... It definitely hurt them to not have those two guys. I actually think Tay was kind of built for this game, and when he left, Quaylen really took over that power role. Um, But I do think Tay's pass-catching ability was missed as well uh, as the game progressed. You know, I I just think the offense line need to play better. The run game need to play better earlier. And I think maybe if it did, if they were able to establish it more early in the game, I think it would have helped shaping out, help him gain some confidence um, because it seemed like that's what he needed as the game progressed. And it's something they're going to have to work on. Shapin's going to have to be far better this next week. I think in general, the passing game really needs to take a step forward against Texas State. Uh, and you can only work on so much because when you go on the road in a couple weeks to Ames to take on Iowa State, it's going to be a completely different environment than the Texas State game. It's going to be more like the game they just saw at BYU. So they're going to have to play better. They're going to have to find a way to make adjustments. They're going to have to find a way to play better on the road. 
And offensively, I think that's an area where they need to work, and that, that's the passing game. And I know some people will combat that and say that's not true. They were fine through the air. They they took the chances when they had them. The run game was working. But in general, BYU was stacking the box, and Baylor wasn't able to take advantage of that. Maybe it was knowledge of Jeff Grimes' system. Maybe it was uh, just a great game plan by Kalani Sitaki. I think there were a number of things that went into it. The road environment, all of it played a part in it. But in general, Baylor needs to throw the ball much better if they plan on reaching their goals for this year, which is winning the Big 12 championship and potentially making the college football playoff. It needs to get better. Uh, the passing game does. Now, the offense line needs to play better as well. You know, they're not without flaws. I think they had a decent game, but they weren't great by any means. They were just decent. And I think they missed Khalil Keith, particularly in the run game, as they were kind of just saying, hey, we don't care how many guys you have in the box. We're going to continue running the football. They could have used Khalil Keith in this matchup. I do think that unit will get better. I think the passing game will get better, as will the run game. But it needs to get better in a hurry. Um, because, like I said, that road matchup in Ames looms very large. Uh, defensively, I felt like they played pretty good. You know, if you kind of look at the box score and some of the things they did well, I mean, BYU only had the ball for 25 minutes and 45 seconds in this one. Uh, they had 366 yards, but they were only three of 14 on third downs. Um, I felt like the defense played pretty good. You know, they didn't force any turnovers. They weren't uh, causing too much havoc, but I did feel like internally they sped up Jaron Hall's clock just enough to make him inefficient at times. The problem was is the simple fact that they were giving up certain explosive plays, especially to Chase Roberts, and those explosive plays kind of made up for the lack of consistency in the BYU offense. And I think the most alarming part for me is that BYU didn't have Gunnar Romney or Puka Nakua. I don't want to hear these theories that, oh, if they played, it would have been better for Baylor. I, I, I don't believe in that. I don't buy that at all. I think the other team wants the most talent they can possibly have, and I think it ruined their scheme uh, to a certain amount when you're missing both of those guys and you're having to rely on your third receiver to be great. And Chase Roberts was their third receiver, and he was great on the day. I think if you watch this game, the two best offensive players on either team were Jaron Hall and Chase Roberts, and they both played for BYU. And ultimately, that was the difference in the game. They were able to produce more consistently than the guys on the Baylor offense. I went through and I did some stats, and Roberts really feasted on man-to-man -man coverage. Uh, five of his receptions and his touchdown were on man-to-man. -to -man. Uh, some came on A.J. McCarty, uh, Mark Milton as well, and then, of course, his touchdown was on Lorando Johnson. He also drew a pass interference on Lorando Johnson. So he was just a nuisance, and Baylor really had no answer for him. Now, I know he had some other catches in zone, but in general, he did feast on the man coverage, and he won his one-on-one -on -one battles, and that's, a, that's not a great sign. I know a lot of people have been talking about how Jaron Hall's not going to be you know, Baylor's not going to face another quarterback as good as Jaron Hall. But the problem is, is that they're going to face many other offenses that have more weapons and better weapons than BYU had on Saturday night. And they're going to have to be better in man. They're going to have to be better in coverage in general. Um, but particularly, I think the cornerbacks need to play better. That's just plain and simply what I saw. I feel like most of the teams Baylor's played so far between Albany and BYU, the shots have been against man-to-man -man coverage. They've taken shots down the sideline, kept it out of the middle of the field, and really tried to exploit one-on-one -on -one matchups. And that's something I do think Baylor needs to improve on this week against Texas State. 
outside of that on defense, Matt Jones played really well. Felt like Tyrone Brown came in and played well for Dylan Doyle when he had to come in and replace him. Brown was pretty good in coverage. I think that's where you saw, you know, kind of him take a step and be as good or better than Doyle, probably better than Doyle in coverage. But as Dave Aranda said this week, they did take a step back in stopping the run. And you saw that in the overtime when BYU was able to score a rushing touchdown. Not having Doyle definitely mattered. And not having his presence and voice on the field, I do think mattered, even though Brown did play well. And he's a young guy that I do think can be a very productive player for them. Uh, Some other guys, I felt like the defense line was good, but I also felt like it came in waves, right? They played good against the run, obviously, as they held BYU to 33 carries for 83 yards. So that's 2.5 yards per carry. But the sacks, they only had two of them. The hurries, they had three of them. But I felt like as the game progressed, they looked tired. They looked like a team that was getting hit by the altitude, which makes sense. I mean, it's tough to play at BYU, but it just seemed like they fell flat at some points and weren't getting as much pressure on Jaron Hall as they did early in the game. And I think that reared its ugly head with the explosive plays that BYU was able to hit on. So something to adapt for. They're not going to have to play in that altitude again this year which is a great sign. Um, But I did feel like there needs to be a higher level of consistency getting after the quarterback than what they had this past weekend. Um, I I felt like BYU's defense played about as good. I felt like they matched the Baylor defense. They matched the physicality that Baylor brought in last year's game and that Baylor brought into this game. And I think that ultimately was probably the difference in this game was how physical BYU was, how prepared they were, and just how well they played in their home environment. So at the end of the day, Baylor drops to one and one. Uh, It's a disappointing loss, one that I think they can bounce back from. But I think at the end of the day, it's really going to come down to can Baylor get over these road losses? Can they turn these road losses into motivation to play better on the road? They have a really tough road schedule coming up when you talk about the fact that they got to go to Ames, take on Iowa State. They got to go to Lubbock. They got to go to Morgantown. Uh, They got to go to Texas. They got to go to Norman. I mean, there's a lot of meat left on the bone and a lot of opportunities to go get wins on the road, but also a lot of opportunities to come up with with losses, and they can't afford many more of those going forward. So that's it for BYU. I don't want to dive, you know, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I think if you watched the game, you probably came away pretty disappointed in the loss uh, since they were given so many chances. Um, but I also think you came away probably feeling like, hey, Baylor hung at, hung hung in the game with a team that is now a top 12 team in the country, and you only lost by six in double overtime. So you're in the game, but ultimately that doesn't really matter. You got to come away with wins. You got to find a way to win these type of football games. And now going forward, it's how do you get better? How do you improve going into this Texas State matchup? And I think the things I'm going to be looking for in this matchup are the is the passing game first and foremost. You know, can Blake Shapin improve? And can these receivers and Shapin himself gain some confidence in the passing game? You saw it in week one against Albany, uh, but last week took a step back. Now, how do you take a step forward? Can you get better? Can you improve? Can guys like Hal Presley, Seth Jones, can they step up? You know, does Monterey Baldwin come back this week? Does Jordan Neighbors come back this week? Maybe even Javon Gibson and adding that talent, does that help this offense thrive in the pass game? I think it could but they need to go out and prove it. And I think this week they really need to gain confidence in that passing game. And I also think pass protection, you know, they need to gain some confidence as well. So 
Baylor faces Texas State this weekend. It's at 11 a.m. in McLean Stadium. Baylor is a 30-and-a-half-point favorite. 51-and-a-half points is the over-under. A projected score is 42-10 to 10 on pick center. So, Texas State, uh, they have a win over no- or a loss to Nevada, 38-14. to 14. Nevada is not good, by the way. Nevada lost to Incarnate Word this past weekend. Uh, in a game, they lost 55-41, to 41, and they beat Texas State 38-14. to 14. So maybe Texas State got better. They were able to get a win last week against Florida International, 41-12. to 12. That's impressive, right? Except for the fact that Florida International beat Bryant 38-37. to 37. Bryant is a pretty bad FCS school. So Texas State did what they had to this past weekend, but they're not a very good team at all. Um, they don't really have a lot of weapons, and I think – the game that you really need to focus on is the Nevada game in which they just couldn't get out of their own way um, with turnovers. They had four of them, two interceptions from their quarterback, Lane Hatcher. Um, he's going to be the guy this year uh, for them. They threw for 289 yards, but they had negative 12 rushing yards against Nevada. Negative 12 rushing yards. That does not bode well against this Baylor team that has been really stout against the run. So I expect the Bears to be great at stopping the run. I expect them to be uh, really dominant up front. I don't think there's any question about that. Texas State, after that game, they're currently averaging 107 yards on the ground thanks to this Florida International performance. But in general, Baylor should be able to hold them under 100 yards rushing. And I think that's going to make Texas State one-dimensional. So I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to is Baylor getting pressure on the quarterback. I think a number I'm looking for is at least four sacks in this game. I also want to see turnovers. Baylor's yet yet to force an interception. Uh, They had a fumble recovery in the first game. But in this one, I want to see an interception. I want to see that secondary fly around, make a play uh, in one-on-one coverage, and I want to see the cornerbacks play better and play more disciplined and not give up easy receptions and not feel like they're getting lost or losing the one-on-one battles at times. They need to win more of those. And I think they can and will this week, and they're going to get put to the test um, because Lane Hatcher has thrown the ball 81 times in their first two games. So most likely, Baylor's going to be up in this game, and Hatcher's probably going to throw the ball at least 40 times. That's going to give Baylor opportunities um, not only to impress and look good, in the secondary, but also force some turnovers and gain some confidence at forcing turnovers uh, like they did a year ago. I also think it'll be good for the defense line if they're able to get pressure and get some sacks and get after uh, Hatcher in this offense a little bit, maybe a little bit more than they have currently. You look at the rest of this offense for Texas State, Calvin Hill is their star running back. He's got 37 carries for 205 yards and a touchdown. Again, they're not great on the ground. He was good last week, very inefficient against Nevada. Uh, They're not a great running football team. Lane Hatcher has negative 49 yards rushing, so he's been sacked quite a bit, and he's not a very good runner. So once again, a not very mobile quarterback uh, for this Texas State offense. As far as their receivers go, Ashton Hawkins, he's got three touchdowns and 142 yards. He's their go-to guy at the wide receiver position. And then Charles Brown has 114 yards and a touchdown, more of a deep threat. Uh, type for this Texas State team. So that's kind of what they're looking at defensively. Uh, Texas State is allowing nearly 300 yards per game. 
198 yards through the air, 98 yards on the ground. Again, I think the bigger sample size is the Nevada game. That's the better one to look at when you're comparing teams. And Nevada really wasn't great. They only had 144 yards passing and 134 yards rushing. So Texas State's defense actually played pretty well. Um, But once again, the competition that they faced has not been very good. So I don't think their stats are really bearing it out. Um, If I were to guess, I think Baylor's probably going to put up 500 yards of offense at minimum in this game. And I think they're really going to do kind of whatever they want in the run game and in the pass game. Uh, But I do think they'll be challenged a little bit more than they were against Albany in that week one matchup. Texas State has a few more athletes. They're going to take more shots deep downfield. And I think they're going to try to take advantage of the Baylor secondary potentially. Um, But we'll see once again, Texas State, not great. And this is another game where it's more about Baylor. And we mentioned that going into the Albany game. It's more about Baylor. It's more about can Baylor take a step in the right direction and look better and get better on a week-by-week basis. This week is extremely important for that. And and I I have to keep emphasizing this because they're about to play Iowa State in two weeks. And Iowa State's coming off of a big win at Iowa. They look like a defense that's going to give Baylor a lot of problems. And so this passing attack needs to gain as much confidence as possible. This offensive line does as well. And really just this team in general, they need to get that swagger back, get that confidence back in a matchup that should go uh, well into their hands. They, they should be able to win this game with ease. Um, and Texas State just in general, not a great football team. Also, you know, I think Baylor needs to take last year's matchup kind of personally. You know, they didn't dominate Texas State last year on the road. They didn't look great in that game. I know there were some signs that, oh, the, you know, this could be fine. They just didn't take advantage of opportunities. That's fine. But the final score said that these two teams were pretty close. And I think this year that needs to change. I think Baylor needs to take that personally a little bit and just say, hey, you know what? We were better than this team last year. Let's go prove it this year and put on a show and put up some points, gain some confidence back. And I think they will. I think they will get the job done pretty easily, but I'll get to that at the end when I go through some predictions for the Big 12 games. But for now, uh, let's jump. Actually, before we jump into the mailbag, let's talk quickly about Baylor basketball. They had another commit, Newman Garetti point guard Rob Wright. He committed to Baylor. Uh, He had offers from Miami, Kansas State, Maryland, Miami, Penn State, Syracuse, Wake Forest. So he becomes the second commit in the 2024 class, joining Jason Asimoda, uh, the forward, the 6'8 forward. And right, this is a nice pickup, and it was kind of unexpected for me. You know, I kind of thought they would wait a little bit longer before they added any more to the 2024 class, but clearly they really like Rob Wright. He's currently the number 48 player in the country, according to On3, number 39, according to ESPN, and number 25, according to Rivals. So a guy that might be even a bigger riser as the season progresses and seems like a really good fit for what Baylor's trying to build. Now, of course, looking towards the future, you're not going to have Adam Flagler and you're not going to have Keontae George next year. So getting a point guard was definitely uh, a, a need. You have LJ Cryer, who will probably be back, and you also have D'Antoine Grimes and Langston Love and Dale Bonner, but they're definitely, we're going to take another guard in this 2024 class, or at least one guard to join with Jason Asimoda, and Robert Wright might be the guy. Now, maybe by that time, they also have two more guys. Uh, they're, they're able to add another guy to the guard lineup, because obviously this is in 2024, not 2023. So we'll see how they build out the class, but they're in a great spot right now, thanks to this addition. And I think it's pretty interesting that Scott Drew, once again, is continuing to go 
all across the country to find the guys that he wants that are good culture fits while also being really good basketball players. And I think he's done that once again, but it's just really impressive to see him go to Pennsylvania and land a guy uh, as highly sought after as Robert Wright is. And I think that bodes really well towards the future of the program, which we've seen constantly. But I think it's just another level, right, when you're able to say, hey, I can go to Pennsylvania and pull a guy out of there and win a battle against all those teams up north and, and really not have a problem doing so. And Scott Drew just did that. So very nice pickup. I think it's more of one of those where I'm looking at it from a kind of bigger lens of looking at the fact that they're recruiting at such a high level that they can go wherever they want and add guys. I think that's a bigger deal, uh, but also adding a guy that you really like. uh, That matters an awful lot, and that's exactly what Baylor was able to do uh, this week. So let's move on to the mailbag this week before I get into my Big 12 prediction. So the first question, Scotty B, the Baylor King, if you had to choose what you would want to try the most between rib meat quesadilla and monkey bread pizza. I had both, which were good. So which one would I want? Rib meat quesadilla. I think that one sounds a little bit better to me. Um, He also asked, what grade do you give the offense, defense, special teams from the past game? I would give a C plus for the offense, a B plus for the defense, a B for special teams. And he said it would have been better for special teams if they made the extra point in regulation and the field goal in overtime. Well, of course, it would have felt a lot better if that did happen. I would give a C for the offense. I just think they need to play a lot better. Um, And I know they had moments they got better throughout the game. But when you start off so slow, I felt like it really put them behind the eight ball and the passing game looked off. The offensive line didn't look dominant until later on in the game. So I I just had some question marks and I really felt like this was going to be a spot where they were going to play a lot better and they just kind of fell flat to me. A B for the defense, um, you know, penalties in both the offense and defense killed both units to an extent. I give a B for the defense because I felt like the pass rush could have been better, and I felt like the cornerbacks could have played better, especially with the weapons that were missing for BYU. So I give them a B this week. For special teams, it's a B. Uh, You know, Isaiah Hankins did not play well, but Isaac Power was balling. He played so well in this game. He had four of his six punts were down inside the 20. Uh, The BYU kicker had zero down inside the 20. So that kind of tells you there was a huge gap there between those two. Uh, So power was terrific. He's holding up his end of the deal, but the kicking game was really bad. Um, So a B on the day. F for penalties. I know you didn't ask, but F for penalties. You hate to see it on the road in a road environment to come up with that many penalties. It's really hard to overcome. Uh, Next question, Grant Lynn. Trying to find some positives can be tough as a fan at times, but I'm going to try. I've heard multiple times that teams make the biggest leap between week one and week two in terms of improvement. Do you think that since we had an FCS opponent in week one that we actually have our biggest improvements made after this week? Lots of areas to improve, but hopefully we can get it done. Conference record is still zero and zero. Very true. Great point to bring up. I think a lot of people are looking at this game and it having conference, Big 12 conference ramifications, but it doesn't. You know, Baylor's going to start 0-0 after this week, um, and it's just going to be a focus on conference play. I, I think the college football playoff is kind of, I'm not going to say it, it's completely done, but it, it seems very outside the realm of possibility. I brought this up with the guys when I was talking in the studio earlier, but since 2011, 
when the conference shifted to the nine-game schedule, only one team has gone undefeated in Big 12 play, and that was Oklahoma in 2016. My point being, it is really hard to go undefeated in the Big 12, so I think at best, Baylor's going to go 10-2 and two on the year, um, which would be one loss in conference play, which would be very remarkable with the kind of slate that they have coming up. Um, but you are right. Oh, and oh, at this point, I do think there's going to be huge improvements made after this week. I think you'll see a better team when they go to Ames, but the question is how much better because they have to take a big step in the right direction because I just saw Iowa State go into Iowa, get a win. I know it was ugly, and I know both offenses looked horrible, um, but on the flip side, you know, to anticipate that Baylor's just going to go into Ames and put up all these points is kind of unrealistic after what we've seen from Iowa State defensively and what we've seen from Baylor offensively up to this point. So they do need to take a huge step in the right direction if they hope to win that game in Ames. Moving on to the next question, Baylor Bear 88. In spite of only being two games into the season compared to preseason expectations, what is your most pleasant surprise so far and what is your biggest disappointment? It's a good question, I think. You know, for me, my pleasant surprise is safeties. Um, and kind of my reasoning for it is kind of something we haven't seen yet and then also what I have seen. So the reason why I say that, the teams they've played have taken shots on the outside. You know, they're taking shots down the sideline and they're taking shorter intermediate shots against one-on-one man-to-man coverage you're not seeing them try to exploit Baylor deep down the middle of the field. You really haven't seen a lot of that. You saw it in the BYU game once, and Devin Neal almost had a great interception laying out for the football. But even if that ball had been on the money, it was pretty well covered. Um, So what I've seen so far from Devin Lemire, Devin Neal, Christian Morgan, um, and even Al Walcott to an extent, is they've played pretty well in coverage. And I think they've taken away the middle of the field to an extent because of that too high safety look. And that's been... I think a pretty big positive for me. Disappointment. You know, I was going to say the passing game, but I think right now my main focus is this team playing on the road. They, you know, going into this BYU game, I had the expectation that they would win this game, dominate BYU physically, and go win a road game. And it didn't happen. Uh, They got out physicaled by this BYU team. And it's just kind of disappointing to see them continue to struggle on the road. Good news is, in two weeks, they get an opportunity to make up for it against an Iowa State team that I think they should beat. Um, So they get another opportunity. But so far, that's my biggest disappointment just through two games. Uh, Bears Dynasty 20, what would you expect to see as points of emphasis on offense this weekend? I would think that Grimes and company would want to use the Texas State game to put working into dialing in on the downfield passing attack we've been hearing about. Do you think that we'll see them pull out some of these plays as a way to help shape it and the receivers build more chemistry with in-game experience? Or will we want to keep it more conservative so as to not show our cards to Iowa State? Thanks for the excellent Baylor coverage as always. Well, thank you Bears Dynasty for that. You know, I think that they need to figure out a way to get the passing game more confidence and more work, even if that risks showing some of their hand for this Iowa State game. They need confidence. I just can't imagine that this team comes into this Texas State game and throws for like 150 yards and then that bodes well about going into this game against Iowa State. I just don't see that. I think they're going to let shape and take some more shots. I hope they do. 
I hope they give him, you know, 25 opportunities to throw the football just to allow him a bigger sample size to actually take some shots, get some confidence, and also get his receivers some work. You know, this is still a young group that's inexperienced. They need more catches under their belt. They need more routes under their, their belt. And so I, I'm hoping this game goes into the third quarter with the starter still playing and that they continue to really try to make plays and try to get their receivers just more and more confidence while also giving Blake shape and more confidence. So I think that's going to be the emphasis regardless of what they might be showing to Iowa State. Because at the end of the day, I think this team needs to worry about themselves more so than other teams going forward. Uh, next up, Doc Crowell. Given that in a previous podcast you guys were predicting 10-2 and or 9-3 and on the season, would you revise your predictions after the BYU game? I dropped by a game from 10-2 and to 9-3. and I think that's the most realistic, is that they go 9-3. and I also think the loss to BYU opens up the floor. So we've kind of talked about the floor being 8-4. and four. I still think that's the floor, but losing to BYU opened that up. I really felt like if they beat BYU, this was probably going to be a 9-3 and three team as their floor. Um, so now the floor shrunk a little bit, and the ceiling has shrunk a little bit, as I don't think they're going to go 11-1 and one or you know 12-1 and one with the Big 12 championship. I think that will be really tough. Possible, sure, but really, really tough based on historical context and the fact that it's really hard to go undefeated in Big 12 play. So I think 9-3 and three is the most realistic. That'd be two conference losses. And so I still think 9-3 and three is probably the one that I would lean towards, even though I do think this team is plenty capable of going 10-2. and two. I just am probably leaning towards 9-3 and three at this point. Uh, thanks for that question. Eni Ball, uh, does this game change your personal outlook on the team this season? Why or why not? Like I said, it's just more of a ceiling floor type thing. It drops the ceiling a little bit and it makes the floor you know, more attainable. That eight and four mark is in, in question now. I mean, they could even go seven and five if they play really, really bad. Um, but overall, you know, my outlook hasn't changed a ton. I had this team going 10 and two heading into the year. So if they go nine and three, 10 and two, I still feel pretty good about what my expectations were coming into the season. Final question, a uh, Grant Lynn. I know non-conference games are scheduled in advance, but I really wish we wouldn't have our big non-conference games on the road in years when we only have four conference home games. Do you think this is something that Mac looks at when making future schedules, or is it too difficult to do that with how the landscape of college football is changing? Maybe if we've played better on the road the last couple seasons, I wouldn't even be thinking about this. Well, you know, I think with realignment coming, the schedule might look totally different next year. So I think that's something to keep an eye on is that, you know, adding these teams is going to change up Baylor's schedule. It's not going to be the same as it has been in the past where, you know, the odd years were the years to take advantage of. Um, like Baylor did in 2021 and in 2019, they had such great schedules with their road home splits. Um, so there's really not a way to guess that when you're doing it in advance, at least at current state. Now, a few years ago, they had that opportunity, um, kind of knowing where you were going to play various games. But to be honest, I think in general, it kind of all changes on a year-by-year -year basis based on who's good and who's not good. So I think it's kind of hard to predict that and hard to to kind of go all in with this mindset of, ooh, okay, in the odd years, let's try to get a, a home non-conference game instead of a road one. I just think it becomes more complicated when you're just trying to schedule the best matchups possible. So that's kind of where I am at on that. But thanks, everyone, for all the questions this week. Lots of good ones. Um, lots of very intriguing ones, I would say, um, heading in 
to the year and hang into this matchup against Texas State. And I think a lot of people are kind of wondering the same thing, right? Expectations. How are those changing with this loss? And I would still say the goal is still in front of Baylor. And that goal is to win the Big 12 championship again. And that is still very much in play. So don't get too down on the loss, even though it was a very disappointing one. So let's move into our Big 12 predictions for the week. Uh, let's start off with this 11 a.m. contest. Oklahoma taking on Nebraska in Lincoln. Nebraska just lost their head coach, Scott Frost. The game is on Fox. Oklahoma is an 11.5 point favorite in this one. The over-under is 67 I think Oklahoma's going to win this game. I think Nebraska's in free fall right now. And I think that's going to be how it is the rest of the year. And so I I think Oklahoma comes in, wins this one pretty easily. I think they'll probably cover. Uh, I'll have them wing this one something like 41 to 20. Uh, I got the Sooners in that one. Uh, At 12 p.m., Towson travels to Morgantown to take on West Virginia. West Virginia coming off of another just close, close loss. It's just Neil Brown, guys. I mean, this, I feel so bad for him. He just can't win these close games and losing to Kansas is really bad as well. As we know, Kansas has been really bad in the past. They're not as bad this year, but still you can't lose that game at home. You absolutely cannot. I expect West Virginia to bounce back in a big way in this one against Towson. I like the Mountaineers. How about 44 to 14? They get the job done. Get in the win column. Finally, it's been a rough start to the year for the Mountaineers. Next up, Ohio travels to Ames to take on Iowa State. This game is at one on ESPN+. Plus. Iowa State is an 18-point favorite over under 49.5. Um, Iowa State's coming off that big win over Iowa. I think they get the job done. I do think it'll be low scoring. I don't trust Iowa State's offense at all. Uh, but I think they win this one. I'll have the final score 31-14. to 14. They get the job done. Next up, Tulane travels to Manhattan to take on Kansas State. This game's at 2 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Kansas State looking really good. They destroyed Missouri this past weekend. Tulane is undefeated right now, but they haven't really played anyone so far on the year. I think Kansas State rolls. Um, they're a 15-point favorite. 47 is the over-under. Um, I expect Kansas State to win this one fairly convincingly. Uh, probably something like 48 to 17. I think they're going to dominate this game against Tulane. Next up on ESPNU, how about the Kansas Jayhawks? Uh, they're traveling to Houston. Houston has been in two overtime games in their first games to start the year. Kansas, of course, has two wins. They're 2-0, and and they have a conference win over West Virginia. Houston's a 10-point favorite. The over-under is 58. I'm expecting a little bit of a shootout in this one. Um, but I'm expecting Houston to win this one. I think Kansas's crazy year, their undefeated season comes to an end against Houston. Uh, I think the final score will be 31 to 27. It'll be a close game, uh, but I expect Houston to come away with a win. Next game on the list, uh, 6 p.m. Arkansas Pine Bluff travels to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. This is on ESPN Plus. Oklahoma State's going to name the score here, uh, 66 to. 13. I think they win this game. It's going to be a blowout. Um, So the Pokes will remain undefeated on the year. Next game up, Texas Tech travels to Raleigh, North Carolina to take on NC State. 
This game is on ESPN2. NC State's a 10-point favorite, 55.5 over under. Texas Tech got the big one over Houston. They're undefeated right now. NC State uh, beat Charleston Southern handedly. I like NC State here. I think Tech's undefeated season comes to an end. I like the Wolfpack. I think their defense line is going to be too much for Texas uh, Tech. I think Tech will throw the ball a lot, but I think they're going to turn the ball over some, not be able to run the football, um, and therefore, I think the Wolfpack come away with a win, 34-24. NC State gets the job done. Next up on Longhorn Network at 7 p.m., UTSA travels to take on the Texas Longhorns. Uh, Texas coming off of a really, really close loss to Alabama. I know Texas fans are excited about that performance, but they lost Quinn Ewers. Now Hudson Card's going to be the quarterback in this matchup. And the question is, can they repeat the performance they had from a year ago or from a week ago? Can they build on that? And can they consistently do that? Because I, I think going into that matchup, I kind of had this expectation or this funny feeling that Texas would show up for that game against Alabama and then completely just come back down to earth the next few weeks. Now, does come back down to earth mean they lose to UTSA? No, I think Texas's defense has played well enough that I expect them to win this game, but I do think it might be closer than expected. Uh, so I have the Longhorns winning this one 33-24. to 24. I think it will be a rather close game. UTSA really well coached. They got veteran quarterback. They'll push Texas a little bit in this one, but I do think the Longhorns come away with a win. Final game on the schedule, 11 a.m. on FS1. Texas State travels to take on the Baylor Bears. Uh, both teams are 1-1. One one. Baylor's a 30.5-point favorite, 51.5 over under. Yeah, I got Baylor destroying Texas State in this game. I don't, I don't think it's going to be very close. I expect the Bears to win this one 59-13. to 13. I, I think their offense gets back on track. I think you're going to see them run the ball, throw the ball, take some explosive shots, and really run away with this game against a very, very mediocre and I'd say below mediocre Texas State team that will probably only win like four games this year. The Bears should take care of business rather handedly. So that's it. Those are the Big 12 predictions this week. Another entertaining week. Um, I think there are some good matchups in this conference, especially with that NC State Tech matchup, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and UTSA, Texas. So a few good ones. I think the coming weeks are going to get really exciting, especially as Big 12 play ramps up. Um, but in general, another great week of college football, another great time to sit back, relax, and enjoy a really fun Saturday uh, filled with a lot of good games. And we'll see if the Bears can bounce back after that loss to BYU, and we'll see if they're able um, to rebound and hang into that Iowa State game, see if we feel better about their ability to go on the road and get a win. But we will see for next time. But thanks for joining. I know it's been solo this week, uh, just listening to me. Uh, next week, Craig will, I'm sure, be back on the podcast to talk about his thoughts on the Texas State game. Uh, but this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.